Network. Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1013, it's a Wednesday morning, 19th day of July, 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. Uh, showers and thunderstorms moving toward the Twin Ports. We'll keep you posted on that and then the potential for some more storms later today that could become strong to severe. Again, we'll update you on that throughout the hour, but we'll talk some football to start. Training camp underway in the NFL. The Vikings start early next week. Let's jump into that. Joining us from Purple Insider, the great Matthew Collar. Good morning, sir. What is up? Yeah, I know. I'm jealous. Everybody else, it feels like, uh, you know, they're getting to go to school first and uh, not us. So we'll, we'll wait a couple more days here. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll just kind of hang out here. Uh, it gives us more, more opportunity to finish up quarterback on Netflix, which I'm sure you've had a chance to watch now. I finished it last night. Uh, I tweeted yesterday or the day before yesterday. I need to stop watching before I start liking Kirk Cousins too much to make fun of him during the season because uh, it was he's that likable on this show. What do you think of quarterback? Because it feels like this is a project we've not heard the last of. Uh, yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, I mean it, it was really really well done, and I think Kirk Cousins came out as the clear winner uh, in part because you just got. Um, I think a better idea of all the things that Kirk Cousins goes through to play quarterback in the NFL successfully for the Vikings. And, you know, as simple as that might sound, I mean, I don't know that fans have ever seen something like that where, you you know, you see Kirk Cousins uh, getting hit in the ribs and the impact of that. You, you know, when you see it during the game, you go like, oh, he popped back up, he's fine, no big deal. But um, there's a lot of rehab that goes into that. And then just, you know, the playbooks. We know they're complicated, but I don't think that we've ever really been shown how much goes into it, how many hours go into it. And then, you know, things like a player driving home after a playoff loss, that's something that I don't know that any, you know, type of documentary or whatever journalist has ever been able to actually go behind the scenes. And, you know, that was a certainly a scene that really stuck, and I think it showed how much Kirk Cousins does care. And, you know, there have been times where throughout uh, he's sort of been accused of just getting a paycheck and that sort of thing, and I never I never really bought that. Uh, I think that uh, the Kirk Cousins shortcomings, the reason that the Vikings haven't won, they don't change with watching this, but I do think you understand his perspective better. What do you think of, and, and obviously, you know, we, we you and I talked after the playoff game. We broke down that fourth down play. I thought it was interesting on that drive home. He's talking about wanting a couple of plays back, but none of them were that fourth down play to TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, it is kind of funny because uh, Kirk Cousins not understanding why that's so bad is sort of classic Cousins. Um, because to him, everything is sort of rigid. It's about. Did I make the right read, right? And so to him, that was right read on the play because of the pressure, even though you know you and I look at it and his head coach looked at it and Kurt Warner and J.T. O'Sullivan and all the other guys who did stuff on YouTube about it, everybody looked at it and said, no, Kirk, you can't check a ball down on fourth and eight. Sorry, man. Um, but to him, it's like, oh, well, that was the right read. So I did it. And that rigidness, I think you could see at times, sort of even frustrates 
you know, Kevin O'Connell. And look, I mean, we know that they didn't show us everything with the interactions between O'Connell and, and Kirk Cousins, but you just know from past coaches that not having some situational awareness sometimes or just awareness in general um, with Kirk Cousins can be frustrating. And even on that ride home, and look, I mean, it's a tough moment, so I'm not blaming him for this, but he mentioned something about only having 50 plays, which was pretty clear, like a little jab at the defense. It's yeah. like, well, you know, if I only got 50 plays. And I also think sort of maybe a, a coping mechanism for him to focus on other plays that weren't that one because he knew already by the media questioning that he was getting criticized for that. And another part of this documentary is a few little scenes of Kurt kind of taking some shots back at the critics and so forth. But I think that you know a lot of the criticisms of Kurt Cousins over the years have been unfair, but a lot of them have been fair. I mean, when he's talking about the night games and saying he's got game balls from night games and stuff, like, well, you know, Kirk, uh, yeah, the reason that you've lost a lot of those night games is because you've played tougher teams and you don't beat them. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, come on, man. Like, you have to understand why these things are happening. But that's always – you sort of saw all the aspects of him, including if you're watching with even a little bit of a critical eye, like – some of the things that can drive people nuts about him. I tried not to pile on Kirk after that fourth and eight play. And I, and I to a certain extent, kind of defended him a little bit on, on my Twitter after it happened. But what got me more than anything else is is I'm watching this series. And, of course, I'm binging this thing, so I'm, I, I watched it in like three days. And what I thought was interesting was you go back to the Buffalo game. You go to that fourth and 18 play. And, and – Justin Jefferson makes that incredible catch. He's surrounded by three Buffalo Bills defenders, which is the exact scenario he'd have been up against if Kirk had thrown him the ball in that fourth and eight play against the Giants. He would have been surrounded by three defenders. Does he make the catch? We'll never know. Probably not. Just because he did it in Buffalo doesn't mean he's going to do it at home in, in the Giants game. But at least you got to give him a shot. Yeah, I think it's just that play is, I mean, yes, you're completely right. And uh, other breakdowns have said, you know, Adam Thielen's one-on-one on the other side. So even if he was concerned about double coverage, Adam Thielen is one of the best contested catch wide receivers of the last decade. So you, you, I think that nobody would have criticized giving Adam Thielen a shot either to make a play there. Literally the only thing you could do that you'd be criticized for is checking down. Um, but also it's just, it's just so quintessential to their cousins era. It's a it's a day late, a dollar short for them in, in a lot of the biggest moments. And I know that he had a lot of fourth quarter comebacks last year and a lot of exciting games and everything else. But sort of when push comes to shove, you're not getting as far as you expected to get when you signed Kirk Cousins. And there have been a lot of moments where you went, you know what, you needed one more play from your quarterback to be great, and you didn't get it. And so, and then it sort of becomes about more than just one play and specifically that throw, that check down, and more about kind of Kirk Cousins as a whole and his era as a whole because that year, last year was so special. There were so many great games. The Buffalo game you mentioned is one I'll never forget being there. But at the same time, like the, the, the totality of what he's been as a Minnesota Viking is a disappointment. One playoff win in five years, and you've got a drive to potentially go tie the game and win, and you get a fourth and eight check down. I mean, I, I just can't blame anybody for uh, you know having trouble getting over that play. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, our guest. So this show and a quarterback on Netflix has already been renewed for 2024. They said it's going to be back. My question to you, I'm putting you on a spot a little bit here, 
if you had to pick three quarterbacks that weren't on this time to be on it in 2024, who would you want? I think I'd want to go with kind of the same way that they did it. Um, I, I did feel like Marcus Mariota was barely a part of it. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So I guess, uh, yeah, I think uh, one of my friends called the Mar- Mariota parts commercial break, um, <laughs> which I think was, was, was pretty, a pretty good description. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Burrow, uh, to have the elite quarterback who I think has a great chance to win the Super Bowl, uh, as far as the quarterback who's actually very, very good but gets criticized a lot, maybe like Dak Prescott. And, gosh, who do you pick for the bad quarterback? You know what? I mean, I, I don't think a rookie quarterback would like this, but it would be really cool to see behind the scenes of one of the rookies, like Anthony Richardson or something, um, because Richardson is a really fascinating um, you know, quarterback. But, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to put that on them to have NFL films following them around but if I had my choice I would probably love to see what a rookie goes through I said uh, yesterday because I saw pro football talk posting about this show coming back and and I threw Jalen Hurts name out there I think just to to get behind the scenes of that Eagles team which I think has got got a chance to be very good again would be fascinating and then I threw Jared Goff out there because I don't think Jared Goff's great but I think there's going to be a lot of buzz with the Lions. They're playing on opening night, of course, in Kansas City. And then the other guy who struggled last year, or the tail end of his career, but now a new coach, I'd say Russell Wilson. Oh, yeah, Russell Wilson. I mean, now there's a guy that probably would hurt his brand by being able to see more of him. <laughs> He's probably, yeah. probably weirder than we even think. Probably. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea of having it sort of in a tiered way. So I think that, you know, like someone like Jalen Hurts, somebody who's at the top, yep. somebody who's trying to get to the top and is close, and then somebody who is struggling. Or even you know, even a, a quarterback sort of on the brink, like Justin Fields. I mean, if Justin Fields is great this year, he's going to be there a long time. If he's not, they might draft somebody else. I mean, so, you know, when, when you have kind of that make-or-break situation – um, but the, the only thing is that I would just love to see a little bit more of the conflict. I know they don't want to show it. I know that even Kirk Cousins himself had some say over what they were able to put in and things like that. But also, if you don't have tension in these shows, it is, I mean, look, it's football, it's super fun, it's interesting. But it becomes like Hard Knocks, which I think is sort of formulaic and bland at this point. And it was great when there was a little more tension and a little more honesty to it and I and I think that they could actually loosen the reins up a little bit and show a little more of that stuff because an NFL season even when you win 13 games is is a lot of tension I could tell you that do you want more of the game planning the X's and O's type stuff I I did throw that idea out there and then I thought well okay I'm gonna nerd out for that stuff and I know some people out there that would do that but you're gonna lose like 60 percent of your audience if you did that I also think that they're never going to agree to it if you're yeah, true. showing their game planning and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't necessarily need that. I mean, it would be like a little bit more of break of the quarterback showing his intellect, like breaking stuff down or how they watch tape a little bit more in depth would be kind of interesting. Um, but I definitely know that the teams don't really want that going out there. I'm okay with it. I, I just think I like the more you can show of. Uh, the the ups and downs, the roller coaster. Every NFL season that I've covered, even ones that there's been 13 wins, which I've covered two of those, there's tense moments and there's roller coasters, there's ups and downs, there's frustrations and things like that. So I'd like to see a little more of that as they as they go into it. But you know, it might be kind of just the way of our world that 
once you show that, then Mike Florio posted on Pro Football Talk, and then everyone thinks you hate your quarterback, and then you know it, it sort of starts a firestorm or whatever. Matthew Caller, Purple Insider. We spent 12 minutes talking about a TV show and zero minutes talking about Vikings training camp. We should shift gears and do that now, so let's do that. Uh, training camp is underway here in a, in a weekish, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, obviously off a 13-win season, off a division title, but off a first-round playoff loss at home to the New York Giants, an inferior opponent. What are you looking forward to the most in, in terms of what you'll be following during training camp? I think that this is the first time since I've covered the team. My first training camp was 2017, that there has been legitimate camp battles. I mean, real, true camp battles. And 2020 was weird because it was a truncated camp. There wasn't preseason. So there were, there were some then, but it was just kind of a, you know the COVID situation, all that. So a true, full, complete camp where the roster is filled with battles. Uh, because they've been so much in win-now mode with veteran players that, I mean, even look at last year. What was the hottest camp battle from last year? I don't know. Was it wide receiver five or something? I mean, but this year, it's all over the field. I mean, you have cornerbacks. I don't know who the starting corners are going to be. Is Lewis Seen going to emerge and take away that starting safety position? Even the linebackers are not completely set. The wide receivers are not completely set. We don't know if K.J. Osborne is wide receiver two or Jordan Addison. And how, I mean, the running back is a really interesting one as well with Kenny Wongwu, Ty Chandler kind of fighting for, you know, can any of those guys get um, some playing time behind Alexander Madison and things like that. So I also think that you know, this is really the first, I guess 2020-ish, but like the first real young team that I've covered. Uh, and it just sort of shows you what the Vikings have been for so long, which is a like good, not great um, hoping a lot of things go right and, and they could get their uh, type of team. But now it's, it's so much more rebuilding, and yet you also have these other things going on like contract situations and everything else, a little more drama. So I think that this is the most interesting it's been going into a camp since I've been here. On the defensive side, a lot of attention on Daniil Hunter and the potential here of some sort of a move or a contract extension, whatever the Vikings are going to do with Hunter, and we don't know how that's going to all play out. But last year, they won 13 games, and at least at times in the season were competitive defensively with their top two draft picks from last year doing virtually nothing because of injury, Lewis C. and Andrew Booth Jr. So I'll ask you, which of those two players going into year two, coming off an injury-ravaged rookie year, is more critical to the Vikings' short-term defensive goals? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. And it, it might be neither. I mean, I, I, it, with both players, I, I don't think there's a ton of confidence that they're going to emerge and be key players uh, based on what we saw last year. Uh, and really, I mean, for Andrew Booth Jr., it is more of health than, than uh, Lewis Seen, where Lewis Seen, it's really concerning when a safety just can't get the defense down to the point where they want to play a fourth-round pick like Cam Bynum. Uh, because safety, I think, historically has been one of the easiest positions to transition from college to the NFL. And he's way more physically gifted than the other guys. And he wasn't just the backup, he was the third backup. Um, so, you know, it, they are both facing uphill battles um, because I think that Brian Flores is very intrigued by someone like Josh Metellus in kind of a hybrid role. And, you know, they drafted Makai Blackman, and it's worth uh, bringing up that Brian Flores drafted Makai Blackman. He did not draft Andrew Booth Jr. Um, so I think both of them have kind of an uphill battle here. I, I would say that it's better if, Lewis seen than Andrew Booth Jr. just because he's the first round pick from like 
the perspective of what it looks like for Quasi's first draft. But it's probably better for the team if Andrew Booth Jr. at the cornerback position becomes really good because they have just been so lacking in any shutdown corner since Xavier Rhodes left. And really, Xavier Rhodes probably stopped being good in 2018. So it has been a very long time since they've had a single really reliable corner. Uh on the defensive side, on the Hunter thing, what do you think happens? Do, do, do you think that there's a trade coming? Do you think they extend his contract, or, or does he show up and play this thing out? Yeah, usually uh, when people ask me about that, I've just kind of made noises. I just like, ah, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't know what happens because both sides of that argument are really uh, compelling. Um, there's a great argument for saying, look, you know, you've probably gotten the best years of Daniel Hunter's career out of him, and now you're going to make him way more expensive. That's pretty dangerous. And, oh, by the way, you might need some draft capital, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, for trading up next year in the draft potentially, right? So trading him could be pretty helpful. At the same time, your defense is horrible. I mean, it's just like completely lacking in any sort of pass rush. You lost the Darius Smith. Delvin Tomlinson is gone. Eric Hendricks is gone. I mean, the roster is really thin, but it's even thin as of right now for future parts. So you don't have another pass rusher on the way where you're saying, oh, well, we'll just turn the job over to Tommy. Well, they don't have Tommy. So it's like, do they want, you know, Daniil Hunter to lock that position in so at least you have one elite pass rusher to build the rest of the defense around? Um, I I think there's arguments for both cases. And, and, you know, I think this is going to be a hard one for Kwesi Dapomento because he is, I, at, at times, I think, hurt himself by being very, like, strong on this is, like, how, I, uh, you know, how I'm going to go about this. This is what I'm going to ask for. This is what I'm going to do. Sort of like, you know, predetermined trading down in the draft in 2022 or, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting to see if someone would trade for Delvin Cook and then having to cut him when they probably could have just cut him from the outset of, of camp and then, you know, use the money for other things. So, uh, I think this is a really, really tough decision, and I've I've got it like fifty five forty five that Daniel Hunter stays, but I'm really not sure. Uh, and uh, finally, you've got a book coming out in October, and we talk about being a, a, a football nerd and and learning more about kind of the engine, the, the analytics side of things, and pro football focus. The focus, pun intended, I guess, of your book. Tell us about the book project. Yeah, uh, it's called Football is a Numbers Game, Pro Football Focus, and How a Data-Driven Approach Shook Up the Sport. And, uh, yeah, I spent basically two years reporting on uh, PFF and the revolution of analytics in the NFL, which has kind of had its money ball moments over the last couple of years, really starting in 2017 with the Eagles' Nick Foles Super Bowl. And uh, so I, I went searching for what PFF's influence is, how they got started, and the stories are pretty insane, man. I, I found I found my Billy Bean in a guy named Neil Hornsby who started PFF in England about 20 years ago just because he was a football fan who didn't believe like half of the football writing and wanted to see if it was all true. So he started grading players and then built an entire company that works with all 32 teams. And I've, I've had, you know, in the book, coaches explain to me how PFF influences everything that they do on a daily basis. And then it's owned by Chris Collinsworth, and I had a sit-down interview with him. And then it's also, you know, the, the changing world and the competitive world of analytics and other companies coming for them and teams loading up on analytics people and things like that. So 
Uh, it was a really, really fun project. Pre-sale is available now, and it's coming out officially in October. Uh, looking forward to seeing this, and congratulations on it. I know you got the book in hand here recently. It's always a good feeling for a first time. I guess you're not a first-time author, but for any author uh, to get that book in hand for the first time. Uh, look forward to that. We'll talk more about that as September gets going, but I'm sure we'll chat with you at some point during the preseason as we get ready for the regular season opener in September. Sounds good, Bruce. Thanks right. for having me, man. Appreciate it. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, purpleinsider.com. Find him on Bring Me the News as well. And a lot of great insights on the Vikings as we get to training camp started. Preseason openers. I think the Vikings openers August 10th. If memory serves, that'd be uh, three weeks from Thursday. That's tomorrow. I think it's a Thursday night. And then the Packers the following night for their preseason opener over on AM 710. The game. 10.33, I know. Bruce Siski show. On what's become a rainy and gloomy Wednesday morning, at least temporarily here in the Twin Ports, 610, 103.9 KDAL. The Bruce Siski show. It's really impossible to turn a profit if you serve real chicken. Yeah, we use mainly bats. What? Yeah, but the, the good quality kind. Do you know what they call bats? Bats. Chicken of the cave. No one calls them chicken of the cave. Why don't you have a bite? and stop judging it. I'm not going to bite into a fried bat. It's delicious. It's all tendon. Look at it. Is that a bat? Chicken of the cave. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. We are running late. We will get to the news here coming up. We'll give you some more on the weather as these showers and thunderstorms continue to move through the Twin Ports. Heard a couple rumbles of thunder so far. Seen some lightning, heavier rain as well out there. We'll update the radar and some sports headlines. We'll cover all that coming up in a little bit after we hear from CBS News. Coming up on 1039, Bruce Siski Show continues on this midweek Wednesday, 610 and 103.9 KDAL. Yeah, I know we're late. Sorry. It's uh, Wednesday morning as we continue on the Bruce Siski Show here on KDAL. Thanks to Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. We'll get that on the podcast page ASAP and Give you a chance to enjoy it there if you missed it. A really good conversation, a lot of football. If you've been watching the Netflix show, The uh, Quarterback, produced by Peyton Manning, featuring Kirk Cousins, a lot of discussion on that show. And I would encourage you to watch it. I'm a Packers fan, for crying out loud, and I enjoyed it. It was a really, really well-done program. Uh, check that out on the Netflix. Showers and thunderstorms continuing to work their way through the Northland. Uh, we've got uh, the leading edge uh, just through Superior. Town of Superior now, back to Holyoke, Nickerson, and Carrick in uh, far eastern Minnesota, right near the Wisconsin border, out over Lake Superior as well. Uh, if you're on the water, why are you still on the water? Come on. Uh, also, Grand Lake, south to Cloquet, another kind of a cluster of showers and storms, uh, back toward Atkinson, Black Hoof as well. Uh, this is going to push through. This might be the end for now. We'll see. This uh, the stuff back by Grand Lake and Cloquet is uh, kind of really uh, blown up here in the last 20 minutes or so. So we'll uh, keep our eyes on that. Nothing severe as of yet, but still a possibility, especially if we get some sunshine here into the afternoon and seeing some strong, severe thunderstorms around the area this afternoon and this evening. So, again, if you've got outdoor plans later today, maybe want a Huskies game, whatever you're doing, uh, we would encourage you to have multiple ways available to get the latest weather information, get those alerts pushed to your phone, 
you know, get a, have a weather radio handy, have a regular radio handy. We'll have, of course, we hit our programming with weather alerts all the time. So uh, whatever it takes to make sure you get the latest information to you as soon as possible. Uh, Twins, a good win last night in Seattle, 10-3. Great to see Alex Kirilov really starting the breakout. Eddie Julian continues to be tremendous to the point where I think it is a real serious conversation now the Twins have to have about how they're going to conduct their business once Jorge Polanco returns from his rehab stint at AAA St. Paul. That could happen here this weekend, early next week. That's a great question. It's a nice problem to have, right? That you've got, you know, in this case, a guy in Polanco who's established himself as the club's starting second baseman, he can hit, and a guy in Eddie Julian who has, in Polanco's absence, really shown a lot in terms of his hitting acumen yeah, he's not a great fielder. I understand that. His throwing arm's not the best. But he is one of your nine best hitters and needs to be in the lineup every day, even once Polanco is back. So this is a nice conundrum for Rocco Baldelli to have. Now, these things tend to find ways to sort themselves out. And that could be somebody else getting hurt. That could be, you know, so in this case, Byron Buxton really struggling as the DH. So now you've maybe got the DH spot open a little more often than you were initially planning because Buxton has been struggling. Whatever it is, and I, I mentioned this with Dave this morning, I go back to the 2018 Brewers who won the National League Central and were a win away from the National League pennant losing in Game 7 of the NLCS to the L.A. Dodgers for the right to go to the World Series. You know, I look at that team where Travis Shaw was raking at third base. He had a 30 or 35 home run campaign. He was tremendous. He's a good fielder. And that was his primary defensive position. That, that, was, that was pretty much it, actually, for him defensively. So the Brewers, before the trade deadline, went and got Mike Moustakis from then Kansas City, who was another left-handed power hitter who played third base. Well, Craig Council basically from day one is like, we're going to figure it out. Well, you've, you know, these are bats you've got to have in your lineup. We'll figure it out. We'll find a place for them. And sure enough, they did. They put Moustakis a lot of time at second base because they wanted to get his bat in the lineup against right-handed pitching. And, of course, it worked because, again, the Brewers were a win away from the National League pennant. So you can't say it didn't work. These things tend to find ways to work themselves out. And I understand now is a little different because the shifting rules, you know, you, your, your second baseman actually has to play second base. Your third baseman actually has to play third base. You can't put the third baseman behind the second base bag anymore like the Brewers could at times in 2018. But the reality remains, these are two of your nine best hitters, especially when you're facing right-handed pitching. You've got to find a way to get both of them in your lineup. You just do. And you'll figure out the defensive part. I'm not saying defense isn't important, because it absolutely is. But it tends to find a way to work itself out, especially when you got all these professionals involved. Uh, the Twins did not gain ground in the AL Central as uh, Cleveland won last night in Pittsburgh. Rematch 840 tonight. Kenta Maeda versus Luis Castillo. Coverage at 8 here on KDAL. The Brewers are in Philadelphia. They lost last night 4-3. The Reds lost two games yesterday. 
which means the Brewers actually gained a half a game in the standings. Now two and a half games up on Cincy. Colin Ray versus Christopher Sanchez tonight. Largely good news for the Brewers on the injury front yesterday. Right-hander Brandon Woodruff will throw a rehab assignment for single-A Wisconsin on Saturday 1st of at least three minor league rehab starts for Woodruff. Left-hander Aaron Ashby, who was lost before the season began thanks to shoulder surgery, has been throwing bullpen sessions at the Brewers Complex in Arizona, and he is close to game action. They will ramp him up in the minors as a reliever, which means a quicker return to the Major League roster for Ashby. And Wade Miley saying yesterday that the left elbow injury that landed him on the injury list Monday is not his ulnar collateral ligament. He's hoping for a minimum stay on the I.L., which is good because he's been one of the Brewers' best pitchers when healthy. 10.50, wrap this thing up in a moment on a Wednesday. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. <laughs> 